Thanks for uh, being with us today. My name's Simon Collins, and I am a partner at Watson, Farley, and Williams. Uh, I was delighted to see our name quite high up on the list of sponsors for today's event, and uh, welcome back, Capital Link, to uh, the second uh, Japan event. We're very pleased now that we have, uh, Watson Farley have opened an office in Tokyo, and so we're able to be uh, on the ground in person and part of this event. So for me, um, I've been in Japan for um, 17, 18 years, uh, but I was with a different law firm, and I was focused um, a little on shipping, more on, on aviation, and uh, having rejoined Watson Farley, I find myself looking again uh, in more, uh, spending much more time in the maritime space. So uh, it's interesting for me, uh, this, this is a well-timed uh, um, forum and uh, a well-timed panel and an opportunity to, to consider um, financing in the maritime space. I'm joined today by uh, two very esteemed panel members and uh, I'd like to ask Andreas and Oscar to introduce themselves and talk a little bit about um, what they're doing and particular connections to Japan. Andres? Okay, I can start. So, good morning, everyone, and um, thank you, Capital Inc., for inviting us back here to Tokyo. It's a great pleasure to be here. Uh, so, my name is Andreas Röda. I'm the CEO of uh, Ocean Yield. Ocean Yield is a maritime leasing platform established in, um, in 2012, and, and what we do is uh, predominantly focusing on uh, long-term bareboat leases. We currently own a fleet of uh, 64 vessels. Um, We've had a focus since day one on, on modern vessels, and I think uh, today we have uh, an average age of our fleet of around five years. Um, we are uh, sector agnostic. Uh, we have 18, I would say, well-established and well-known customers divided into eight different segments. Um, and you know, the long-term nature of, uh, of the charters uh, provides sort of the solid foundation uh, for the business, and we currently have a backlog of close to $4 billion on an EBTA basis. Um, an average shorter, shorter uh, charter tenure of around 10 years. So, you know, using that as uh, the foundation, uh, we built, I would say, a robust and, uh, and diversified uh, portfolio. Um, we have a strong balance sheet, uh, equity ratio currently north of 31%, and, and we always, you know, seek to have, you know, a robust cash balance of, you know, plus minus $100 million. Um, we used to be listed uh, from 2013. Uh, two years ago, we were sold uh, to the infrastructure arm of KKR uh, in a take-private transaction, you know, valuing the equity of the business uh, just shy of a uh, billion dollars. Um, clearly, KKR infrastructure is a capital-rich, long-term uh, owner, um, and I think that under the KKR umbrella, our focus really remains on selectively growing the portfolio. We've been fairly active over the last uh, couple of years. Uh, and looking at, you know, predominantly uh, commodity shipping. Um, when we came here in 2019, we had, uh, you know, just done our first uh, financing deal in Japan. Uh, we financed two uh, platform support vessels that uh, are on long-term charters to AKBP. That was with a syndicate of, um, uh, well, basically a syndicate led by, uh, by SNBC, and uh, subsequently they invited some, some other Japanese uh, financing institutions into that uh, structure. I think, you know, that's briefly who we are and how it all started. Oskar? Very good. Um, I'm Oskar Ulstein. I'm a partner at uh, Maritime Asset Partners. Uh, we are also a maritime leasing company uh, founded in 2017. 
Um, we have two major shareholders. Uh, one is an industrial group of four Norwegian families. And then we also have an institutional investor from, uh, from New York. Um, today, we have 33 vessels in our fleet. Uh, it's across all segments. On the shipping side, we have containers, tankers, bulkers, and gas. And then recently, since August of last year, we've done quite a bit on the offshore side as well, which we find uh, very interesting. Um, we have offices in Malta and in London. Um, we are eight people uh, in total across, across the company. Um, you know, we are in many ways call it the younger brother of, of Ocean Yield. Uh, they walked up the path uh, before us. Um, we have a very similar investment view, uh, but we probably focus more on mid-aged uh, vessels. So while Andreas was saying that their average fleet age is around five years, uh, we are probably more around 11 to 12 years. Great. Thank you both very much for uh, joining the panel today. So um, our task is to talk about financing, uh, and I think the specific focus that we have is, you know, as non-Japanese, looking at the Japanese market for financing, uh, what, are, what are some of the trends we're seeing? What are the areas which are, are hot in Japan in terms of financing, what, what's not really available? Uh, and in order to do that, I think we also need to look a little bit more globally at, at what's happening in those equivalent markets outside of Japan. Uh, and then, uh, time permitting, we may also look at, at some, uh, some of your experiences in Japan and, and what you know, top tips we have for, for people looking to, um, to build those relationships, those financing relationships in Japan. So um, I think you know, we, it's going to be a pretty, pretty free-running discussion, but um, maybe we can start with, um, with the, the most obvious source of finance, which is, I think, for me, debt. Yep. Um, what are we seeing in Japan as far as options for, for debt financing? And maybe what are we seeing outside of Japan as well, which, which um, uh, helps to set Japan in context? Um, start with you, Andres. Yeah, we can start with sort of what we see in terms of the general market. I think, you know, since we came here last in, in 2019, I think the majority of the shipping markets have experienced uh, quite strong uh, underlying freight markets. So a lot of the owners have, you know, made healthy profits. Uh, and uh, you know, typically on the back of that, the banks tend to you know come come back into shipping or increase their appetite. So, you know, following a period where we saw several banks actually pulling out of shipping, I think we have started to see the reversal of that. So we actually see you know increased appetite among Western banks um, and also among uh, you know some of the the more sort of you know uh, Japanese or or even sort of Chinese-based uh, banks. We're also coming off a period where, you know, uh, Chinese leasing have been uh, very active. Um, I do think that we are seeing somewhat of a change, not in terms of their appetite, but probably among the, uh, the owner's appetite, just purely due to sort of the geopolitical situation that we are currently experiencing. People are a bit more reluctant, particularly to do leasing transactions in China. Uh, and one of the main reasons for that is sort of the potential threat of, of sanctions. And, you know, bearing in mind that if you do a sale and leaseback, you also transfer the title. If you do a commercial bank loan, you can always prepay the facility, but it becomes somewhat more complicated if you engage in, in leasing. So I think what we see as, as Ocean Yield, we actually see an influx of new banks coming into our syndicates. Um, so, uh, you know, we've been fortunate in the sense that, uh, you know, the, the the banks like our business model with long-term charters and they like the diversification. And 
I was sort of pleased also to say that, you know, being owned by a private equity fund, although it's the infrastructure arm, that has also opened up, I would say, new pockets of, of capital, new banks that, you know, we didn't work that closely with before. So all in all, appetite has been been strong on the on the lending side. And I think we all sort of testify to the fact that, you know, the banks tend to sort of march in the same direction at the same time. So, uh, you know, when, when someone wants to get out, everyone wants to get out. And when someone wants to get in, it's typically sort of, you know, the consensus for, for, for the entire group. Yeah, I'd, I'd echo what, uh, what Andrea said. I uh, won't add too much, uh, too much to that. Uh, I think one interesting thing that we're seeing, of course, is, as Andrea said, on the, on the shipping side, a lot of the banks are, are, are coming back. Um, as I mentioned in the introduction, we've also done uh, quite a bit on the, on the offshore side. And there, there's a reluctance amongst, uh, amongst the banks. Uh, very many of them went through tough times uh, in, the, in the challenging period on the offshore market uh, and have therefore uh, withdrawn. Um, it's partially because uh, of, of, of some of the uh, losses that some of them faced. Uh, and then also because of, of the ESG uh, element uh, that a lot of them are, are focusing on. Um, which is also an interesting thing, and I'm sure we'll talk a bit about it uh, today, uh, in terms of uh, the Western Bank's appetite for ESG and focusing on, on younger, younger vessels. With that said, uh, we also have a very supportive bank group to, to finance our, uh, our shipping uh, assets. So we've concluded facilities with uh, four different banks uh, in, in Europe, um, sorry, three in Europe and um, and one in, in the US. Uh, and most recently, which we're very excited about and also why one of the reasons why we are here, we've uh, concluded two transactions uh, in, uh, in Japan with the Japanese Lessors. So we, we really hope to, to build that relationship out and expand our efforts here. Um, and also, it's fantastic to be able to visit, visit Tokyo. It's uh, <laughs> such an amazing city. So that's a very good reason to also, to also come here. Thank you. You guys have touched on, on lots of topics there. So uh, if I could kind of summarize a little bit from what we're seeing internationally, we're seeing uh, a strong interest in the, the maritime sector from the international banks, which I guess is, uh, means more competition for the Japanese banks to, you know, they're not the only players in the market. Within Japan, um, I see different kind of um, uh, different types of institutions involved in the in the lending market um, there are of course the mega banks and 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 banks such as uh, smtb and dbj the large well-known international uh, uh, players um, we then have um, a number of institutions that are kind of arranging debt um, players like um, uh, ntt tokyo century you know, traditionally equity arrangers but who will who will provide uh, lending, and, and then they all connect into the Japanese regional bank market. So if you're looking at um, kind of accessing all of that, how, how would you go about it? And, and, and do you think those are, are valuable sources of, of, of finance for the international players? Uh, absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, for us, what we've been looking for is sort of conventional bank debt, but uh, using sort of uh, Japanese institutions as... Uh, 
as the provider. Uh, I mentioned the deal that we did with, with SMBC. We are in documentation phase now for a new transaction, actually financing a ammonia-ready dry bulk new build vessel. We will do uh, one deal here with NTT Telecom, uh, and we're also doing a separate vessel with with the Taiwanese institution, um, CTBC. So, you know, for us, this is sort of a, I would say, very valuable uh, uh, financing source in addition to call it the traditional Western shipping banks. And it's one thing to sort of have competition to keep the Western banks on their toes. Uh, but also, I think that what we have learned over the last, uh, you know, 10 to 12 year period is that, you know, banks come and go. Uh, banks tend to change strategy and their appetite tend to be you know, moving with the cyclicality. I mean, shipping is a cyclical industry. We need to be cognizant of that. And I think one of the big advantages of particularly the, uh, the Japanese institutions is that they're able to think long-term uh, and they're able to sort of see through the cycles. Uh, and yes, it takes more time to, to get the first deal done, but, you know, for us, that, that's fine. Uh, we're able to, you know, think through that and, and to pl plan long-term and I think invest in the relationship over time and, and there are many um, other ship owners, you know, that I've met here earlier today and that we've also met, you know, before that, you know, have been active in the Japanese market for, for a very long period of time. And, and often, you know, the Japanese are there when the Western banks are not there. So it, for us, it's sort of, you know, a source that we would love to develop more. And, and we already see sort of the, the, the merits and fruits of, of doing so. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, all these institutions are also on their own journey um, uh, I think it's interesting to see, for example, in the regional bank market that uh, several banks are now opening offshore um, offices and uh, really starting to originate their own transactions and build their, their international network and, and contacts. Um, uh, but a number of, uh, well, I mean, there's like 120 regional banks in Japan and, 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 and they're all under the same, uh, uh, I'll say, incentive to, to start to deploy these big deposits that they have in more profitable work. Um, and I think the importance of, of somebody who knows that market, um, it's probably not you guys, right, directly. You don't have the, the contacts into 120 regional banks. So um, how do you then strategically kind of work the Japanese market and, and, and connect up with that? Yeah, no, happy to take that one. Um, you know, just just a quick uh, comment first, Simon, on uh, what you said before I answered the question on uh, on Japanese uh, institutions opening overseas offices. Uh, that's also a very interesting part of this in terms of having a, a mutually beneficial relationship because we're seeing and following uh, some very uh, productive meetings that we've had there in Tokyo that uh, a lot of Japanese are expanding outside of Japan and doing business with uh, ship owners in, in, in Europe and, and elsewhere. That creates uh, an interesting role for us as well because uh, Andreas is based in, uh, in, in Oslo, we're based in London, we, have, we travel down to Greece often, we travel to Germany, we're in, in, in Norway a lot. So we have our, our feet on the ground there uh, and can be a very interesting source for, for sourcing transactions as well. So working together that way. Um, I, now have, to I have a similar um, unpaid practice, putting, putting people together in the, uh, yeah. in the Greek and the, and the German market yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, with, uh, with Japan. So that was, a, that was a long digression before answering your, your actual <laughs> question, uh, Simon. Um, you know, for, for, for us, it wouldn't have been possible to do these transactions without working with an arranger. Uh, on, on both the deals that we did here in, uh, in Japan, uh, we worked with, with Fernleys, uh, and that's been 
massively helpful. Um, they know the market, they have established relationships, and I think, as with everything in this business, trust is, is such a, a key, uh, key issue. For us, coming to Japan and knocking on doors without an arranger, it's tough because we're a new company. Uh, people don't necessarily know who we are, so that trust might not be there. However, with Fernleys and other arrangers, we've worked for, for several years, so they, they know us, and they also know the institutions down here. So that trust is, is already established, and I think that lays a re really important foundation for the, uh, for the ongoing discussions. Um, so it's, it's, it's really, I think, uh, Andreas, you probably share this, uh, this, this as well, it's, it's really of key importance to, uh, to be able to work with an arranger here as well. Oh, it, uh, um. We, t we think that we are patient, but maybe not that patient. And so uh, as, as such, it's sort of helpful to have, you know, someone that have experience on both sides with, that have executed deals, not just with the Japanese institutions, but also with, with our respective institutions beforehand. And I think that it goes both ways in terms of managing expectations, uh, actually doing guidance. I think it's helpful for the Japanese to get uh, guidance with respect to what can be done in the Western bank market, where are sort of, you know, deals being done uh, outside of Japan. Uh, and, and I think that that's more difficult uh, if you don't have sort of the relevant experience. And I think that, you know, we've also worked with, with Fernlist. We've, we've had discussions with, with other sort of arrangers or underwriters as well. And I think that, you know, at least for us, I mean, like, uh, like Oscar and his team, I mean, we are 10 people in Oslo and, and five in Malta. So, you know, there's, uh, there's only a limited set of, of resources. And as such, we need to, to benefit from other people that have, uh, have spent more time than us on the ground there. Yeah, okay, I, I think that there's a number of institutions and in several in the room who, who um, you know, are very keen to continue to play that part of, of facilitating uh, financing deals in the Japanese market for the international, international players. Um, if I then step away from the very competitive debt market and think about um, sell and lease back as, a, as another option, um, you, you touched briefly, Andreas, on, on what you were seeing in China, I think, I think um, uh, over five years, maybe you know, China's done a, a huge volume of sale and leaseback, uh, but perhaps those volumes are decreasing a little now, uh, and terms are, are hardening a little. Um, uh, do, do you see Japan as a, as a competitive uh, alternate source of sale and leaseback? Uh, yeah, it, it seems like it. I mean, it, one question you could ask is sort of, you know. Why is there room for someone like uh, like Oscar and uh, and ourselves to, you know, play a role in the capital structure of uh, of various shipping companies? And I think that you know, uh, we often compete against uh, Japanese transactions. Basically, you know, sale and bear both back or sale and lease back transactions with with Japanese owners. Uh, I think there's a couple of distinctions in terms of you know, one, you need to have the relationship, you need to have the time to actually execute on those transactions. Um, and it's often sort of, you know, one by one, uh, one vessel at a time. So I think, you know, we're able to sort of compete against those transactions uh, on the one side. And then, you know, on the other side, we could use sort of those kind of, of transactions as a financing source. Um, effectively, you know, what we both do is uh, capital structure arbitrage. And, you know, our task is to source the best possible priced capital. And the, the more attractively priced capital we have, you know, the more competitive we are for, you know, stronger counterparties. I think, you know, we have never used leasing as a financing source. I think, Oscar, you have more experience with that. Uh, and you've done, done two recently, so. Yeah. 
No, correct. The the two that we did were were were, were leasing, um, and obviously it's it's very attractive capital. Uh, no, I think I think when people talk about uh, often, uh, for example, for example, Japan and and, and leasing here, how uh, it's it's very cheap money is, is is what they say, and yes, it is it is cheap in the sense that it's a, it's, a, it's a lower margin than what we would typically have in in the Western bank. But if we look at the interest rate market today, with swap rates uh, around five-ish percent, uh, then a reduction in, in 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 pricing of call it 50 to 100 basis points doesn't really move the needle as much as it did before, where interest rates were, were closer to to zero. So there's other aspects of it as well. Uh, one thing that we very much enjoyed with the transaction that that we did here. Is is longer term money. Uh, I think Andreas talked about it earlier in terms of having a longer term investment view. We very much appreciate that because uh, the same the same do we. Uh, but also the longer term money because in Western banks typically we get get five years and then your deal is is capped to to five years because you try to line it up back to back. While here you can get transactions for eight years, ten years, and longer, which is really helpful because that gives you. Uh, financing certainty throughout, and it also means that you can go out and offer longer-term money to, uh, to to a ship owner, which which uh, generally is is quite appreciated. Mm. Okay, interesting. And when when you were doing those uh, leasing deals in the Japanese market, so um, any thoughts on um, the deal structure, what you were seeing in documents, whether they were like particularly difficult contracts, or or, or whether you thought they were kind of I don't know, Covenant Light or? Um, yeah, I mean, they, they are fairly fairly Covenant Light without going into necessarily the, the details of it. But I have to say, personally, I was very positively surprised by the, uh, by the, um, by the process, uh, both in terms of, you know, it, it takes quite a bit of time to initially get the deal and to, uh, to get uh, comfortable with each other before, before starting. But once the deal kicked off and we went into documentation, then it was a very seamless process. Uh, and many people talk about timing, how deals in, in Japan can take time, and you really have to have uh, you know, up to half a year, for example, to, to, to get it done. That wasn't our experience at all. Uh, it, was, it was quite efficient, uh, and that's also important uh, to us. Um, so I'd say the, the main takeaway from, from our process area is that documentation was, was fairly straightforward. Uh, timing was uh, above expectation in terms of uh, the, the speed of it. Um, and where we had to invest a bit of time was uh, initially to, uh, to, to actually get the deal and to get to, to, get to know each other. I think we see the same and on the, on the, call the conventional uh, loan side. I think that you know, uh, the level of professionality is, uh, you know, nothing shy of what you see in the Western institution. Uh, and, you know, speaking for our for our side, I mean, we've harmonized our loan agreements. Uh, basically, for the last 10 years, we offer the same set of documents and covenants to all our lenders, uh, be it the Western banks or the Japanese banks. And typically, you know, the Japanese institutions, they work with the same sort of Watson Farley's of the world uh, when it comes to documentation. So, so sort of very similar negotiation processes. and you know, professional people on both sides of the table, so, so no particular sort of issues as such. Okay, and just to touch on foreign exchange at the moment, uh, has anybody talked to you about the yen dollar exchange rate impacting their ability to, to, to finance at the moment, or are people not, not talking about that? As no, we've not come across that. I mean, uh, we've, 
We've spent a lot of time talking about currency coming from Norway. We are probably the only country in the world that has a similar weak currency to the yen at the moment. So clearly this is on top of our agenda, but from a different perspective. Okay. So yeah, no, no, yeah. Same, same not, not, not coming up. Okay. I, I, I think um, related to Senator and Lise back and perhaps something I can talk to a little bit is the, the tax lease. Um, uh, a large part of um, our practice in the Tokyo office is, is structuring uh, JOLCO in particular in the maritime space. Uh, we, we, you know, during the, uh, the, the COVID years, uh, the balance between the different asset classes tipped quite strongly in favor of, of maritime um, because of the, what was happening uh, with aviation. Uh, and that, that balance is, is um, drifting slowly back, but, but um, still, uh, I think a substantial number of maritime assets being financed in the, in the tax lease market. There, there was a tax change uh, earlier this year, which, um, which rocked the market a little bit, increased uh, uncertainty, and, and uh, has reduced the volume of uh, new building ships which are being financed in, in the tax lease market. But uh, it still remains pretty robust. I think what we see is demand, um, demand from the, uh, the people who are owning the ships, and equally demand from the Japanese equity. And when you have strong demand from those two sides, the deals tend to get done. So mm. um, I think the, we'll continue to see the, the, the tax lease from Japan as, as a strong uh, source of financing. Um, you know, there, there are a few alternates uh, in the tax leasing world. Most, most tax leases have been shut down. Um, and uh, uh, you know, it offers some very unique and strong selling points not least 100% financing mm. uh, at extremely good rates. Mm. Um, so so uh, I think that'll continue as, as an important part of the overall picture in Japan. Um, what else is out there um, uh, in, in the Japanese market outside of the sort of leasing and the, and the debt? Um, do you see anything um, but from your perspective in sort of funds space or or, or not much available in Japan? What do you see? Well, we haven't come across that many sort of specialist uh, funds uh, originating out of Japan. I would say it's fair to say that we see, I would say, uh, you know, smaller outfits that are sort of similar to, to MAP or to Ocean Yield sort of popping up uh, <laughs> with different type of capital uh, with, and different type of investment mandates. And I think that, you know, from, from our perspective, I think that, you know, we welcome all sorts of call it competition. We think that there's definitely room for um, for more players in the maritime financing space. I think our, our view is that you know the uh, energy transition journey has just begun, and I think that you know the maritime space is requiring, I would say, substantial capital to be invested, not just in the ships. I think you know we also underestimate uh, significantly the investments that's needed um, on the infrastructure side. I think that you know. Marco and Mats were talking about sort of, you know, would we build this or that type of ship? I think, you know, people are de definitely dependent on uh, getting access to the fuel type that they are building for. Uh, and as such, there, there is ample need of capital. I think that we can both play a role in that. Uh, and, and also, you know, there will be room for other platforms, whether it's Japanese or, you know, other type of platforms backed by, by other type of capital. So, uh, but we haven't seen any sort of specialist funds coming out of Japan. We've seen you know, that be Western and, you know, Asian-based, but, but not Japan. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree a lot with uh, what um, 
what uh, Andrea said. Um, now, when we launched Maritime Asset Partners back in, in 2017, uh, it was coming off uh, a time when uh, when banks were pulling back quite a bit uh, in, um, in in shipping. Uh, obviously, as we talked about earlier, a lot of them have, have started coming back. Uh, but when you look at the overall uh, financing need for the for the industry, then I'd say that our investment thesis when we started in 2017, which we thought was good then, I'd say it's even better today. Uh, and it's better because you can really see now that there is a long-term need for this for this capital, um, and that's also how we how we view things and how we are set up as well. We're we're an actual actual corporate, so we're not we're not a fund. We don't get management fees or anything like that. Uh, we are very dependent on our deals performing well because, in order for our company to succeed, uh, we need to. Uh, do good deals uh, and deals where that, that basically don't don't fail. Uh, so we have a very good alignment with with all the transactions um, that we that we do. Um, and I think I think you know my my, my hope is uh, that uh, both uh, Ocean Yield and uh, Maritime Asset Partners is is here in 10, 20, 30 years, right? Mm. And that's I think also I'm speaking maybe a little bit for Andreas right now, but uh, primarily for myself is I think that's how we analyze uh, transactions as well. We would rather not do a transaction if there's you know, any any risk in it that we don't like uh, than than doing it just to deploy money. Um, and it's quite interesting, right? I mean, a lot of the people in this room have been in this space for for decades, and if you think about it, and you go back, say, ten years, I mean. Leasing today is very different from what it was 10 years ago. I think that, you know, historically leasing was perceived as, you know, a source of capital for people that didn't have any alternatives. Um, uh, and I think now we rather see it as a complement uh, to other financing sources. And, and what we see is that, you know, a lot of the established ship owners out there, they actually use leasing as a long-term source of capital, often for, you know, the integrated part of their fleet. You know, you have sort of a fleet-wide approach to leverage, and you say that, you know, my modern in, modern vessels with integrated part or, you know, somewhat older vessels, but still that sort of has an instrumental part of, of the trading pattern or the, the, the fleet as such, you know, you can afford to have a somewhat higher degree of leverage on. And, and as such, you know, the lease, lease products that we typically offer are traditionally around 90% lease to value, which, you know, then gives you incremental, call it leverage, relative to the banks. And I think... One question that we often get asked, particularly in, in this environment where you know, interest rates are high, you know, how come people are using leasing? You know, is it really competitive? And I think people often forget that, you know, yes, it's more expensive than conventional bank debt, but you need to look at this on sort of an apple for apple basis, which you, know, you can raise probably 60, 65% leverage from the banks at the cost, uh, and you can raise 90% from someone like us at the cost, which effectively what we then do is substitute the equity. And you really need to look at sort of what's the cost of that equity. And I think, you know, shipping has been great, but, you know, take a look at the dry bulk market now. I mean, the majority of the owners out there are trading at sort of substantial discounts to underlying NAV. What is the price of that equity? And it's a very interesting discussion to have uh, with owners and with management, you know, finding out sort of the appropriate uh, cost, of, cost of equity. And, and I do think that, you know, as the interest rates have gone up, such 
uh, to such magnitude that we now see in the uh, call it risk premium required in the equity markets also gone up substantially. So on a weighted average cost of capital basis, I would say that leasing is, is still very competitive and, and, uh, and we are, I would say, quite constructive about the outlook um, and uh, we look at new transactions uh, on a daily basis. Like Oscar said, I mean, we are very selective and, and we've been fortunate that we've been able to sort of build a platform with leading institutions as our counterparties um, and, and you should expect us to continue to grow. But I always said that, you know, as shipping is volatile, you know, our growth is, uh, is lumpy and we're only going to grow if we see sort of attractive risk reward. Uh, and, you know, if, if we don't find any attractive deals, you know, there's no need or any push from you from any of our shareholders or stakeholders to you know, continue to grow, grow the business unless there are accretive transactions. And, and just following up on that, uh, leasing doesn't have to be 90-100% uh, uh, leverage either. Uh, we've recently done quite a few transactions as leases where the LTV is, uh, uh, or lease to value is around 60%. Mm. Um, so you can still adjust it. and. One of the reasons why we also like doing leasing is because then we can structure it with back leverage. So we can turn around to, to our banks and finance a portion of the uh, transaction value that we give to, uh, to, to our counterparty, thereby optimizing the, the, the capital structure. So uh, we take you know, hopefully cheap senior debt and then we add on some of ours and then we pass it on. If you do 60% LTV on, on the lease, then the proportion of the senior financing or back leverage is, is higher. While if you go higher up, banks typically won't go much higher on LTV, so then it becomes more expensive. Um, and I think it's, it's of key importance right now with the, with the market, uh, how it is when you see uh, tankers, uh, you know, since sort of the, the, the lower values, a uh, 10-year-old Aframax has uh, gone up 150-200% uh, in, in, in value. Uh, Supermax is 10-year-old, same, right, since those values have, have, have doubled. Um, and then it's important for us to be, to be quite conservative because with increasing asset values, there's also increased downside in case the market turns. So that's why we try to use the lever where we then try to reduce the leverage or the LTV that we give the counterparty to, um, to ensure that we have sustainable break-evens and to ensure that we are comfortable with any residual risk uh, that we have. I, I think the, the business of um, maritime leasing is on a very interesting journey and um, clearly an area which can continue to grow into the future and, and take on a larger portion of the, uh, you know, the overall funding of, of, in this space. Um, coming from an aviation background where probably half the aircraft in the world are owned and operated on a, a leasing basis, uh, shipping has a way to go before it, it reaches those levels. Um, and I think the story in Japan um, with, you know, selling lease back here tends to be at the moment on a, on a tax investor base uh, rather than somebody really building, oops, sorry, a, uh, a platform and going for it in a large way as they've mm. done in China. So that, that, that I think um, is all... Is all um, potential for, for, for the future to really to really explore that. Um, so uh, I guess we've talked about uh, debt, we've talked about leasing. Uh, um, if I'm thinking of other sources of financing, we, we don't need to explore ECA too much. Uh, it's available in Japan mm. and, and of course always an option for, for Japan built ships. Um, although the ECAs have, have, have perhaps um, uh, are, are a little more cautious these days. Um, 
One area of finance which uh, we haven't talked about yet is, is debt capital markets. Um, uh, it, it is uh, a significant source of finance in the, in the US, but um, I guess not really in Japan. Um, I don't know whether you ever think of Japan or exploring any options here uh, in, in the DCM space. Uh, we, have, we have not done that. I mean, we've been utilizing the Norwegian bond market, uh, and we currently have uh, four instruments outstanding, uh, the equivalent of call it $250 million. Uh, I think that, you know, one of the things that, uh, uh, without sort of knowing the, the ins and outs of the Japanese uh, DCM market, I think one of the great advantages for, for someone like us is the ability to go to the market quickly. Uh, and, you know, that market is very document light uh, and, and you know, also has a great degree of flexibility, which is important when you're operating in sort of a, a capital market perspective where the windows open and shut in a very short sort of uh, time frame. So, uh, but clearly, I mean, we are very much open and pragmatic. So, you know, any source of capital that we can find that are better priced than, than others is, uh, uh, is always something that uh, we're open for. And I think, you know, if you think about sort of what uh, Maritime Asset Partners and Ocean Yield can offer sort of Japanese institutions, whether it's banks or leasing providers or, or even sort of investors in, in, in credit instruments. I think it's sort of another layer of protection, right, where, you know, there is a inherent diversification uh, in, in our platforms, and you actually get another layer in between, call it the end user uh, and, and the creditors providing the funding. So, it, you know, it has sort of attributes which uh, I would think could also be interested to sort of the, the bond market uh, here. Yeah, no, I, I agree on that. And um, in, in terms of the, the DCM market, we haven't, we haven't done anything here and we haven't done anything in Europe yet either. Uh, we are a, a private company uh, and what we do have is we have a lot of flexibility in terms to, to, uh, to make strategic decisions if they make sense. Um, so we're, we're, we're not listed, again, privately owned. And if there's anything that makes sense on the equity side or on the debt side, then we're quite optimistic to, uh, to listen to it, which is a comfortable position to, uh, to, to, to be in. And I also agree with Andreas's point. I think it's, I think it's instrumental in the sense that the added layer of protection that you get is from also somebody who thinks like the, uh, the, the financing institution. Uh, we all you know, analyze and look at these things fairly, fairly similarly. So instead of doing it directly with the owner, having an ocean yield or maritime asset partners in between, it should give some extra comfort that, you know, I've, I've done my diligence. I'm comfortable doing this deal with uh, maritime asset partners or ocean yield. And I'm also comfortable that they've done their diligence on the ultimate counterparty uh, because they don't want to lose any money. They're subordinated to me. Mm. So uh, I think that's a very good point on yeah. Okay, uh, I think that's, uh, I, I will throw that challenge out to the room then. There, there, are, there are clearly DCM products that could be utilized in this space. They're not being offered at the moment. Um, and uh, you know, Japan is the uh, third largest economy in the world. Uh, I think still. Uh, so uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of investors out there who could be uh, connected up. It could be a very rich pool of liquidity for the uh, for the market. Hmm. Hmm. I think that more or less takes us to the end of our time, gentlemen. So um, thank you all for your attention, for attending, and please help me uh, thank our panel.